special edition of The Rage Beyond the Pages. This week, as it's both homecoming and festival of Cadien, we'll be previewing a bit of both and uh, also talking about the stories that we did for our Cajun theme issue. As always, I'm Rian Hendricks and my co-hosts are Morgan Fontenot, Melissa Watson, and George Clark. So uh, let's just dive right in. Uh, Melissa, you covered Cajun Eraser. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, so there's this kind of ongoing theme in this area, this fear that Cajun culture will kind of erode away over time and Mm -hmm. that it, as we know it, won't exist if we don't take precautions to preserve it, especially Cajun French or Louisiana French, the, the local statewide kind of South Louisiana dialect of French. There's a fear that that will erode away, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because uh, a couple generations ago there was a movement and a movement of kind of Americanization, where uh, people's Cajun grandparents were punished for speaking French in school. This happened all over the country, but this is how it affected this area, and so they were told to speak English only in school, and that yeah. they would be punished. And so they never really passed on, passed on uh, Louisiana French. I want to say children. that was around World War II, Yeah, I th- if I'm not mistaken. I think so. So that's, it apparently had this, this psychological effect on them and they didn't pass it on to their children and then their, their children didn't pass it on to their children. And so there's a worry that that will be lost. Uh, actually on campus, on the third floor of the library, there's this place called the Center for Louisiana Studies which is is the most interesting thing because it's the quiet floor, so there's no sound. And then <laughs> and around a corner, there's just this little room and you walk inside, there's just all these people working on these, these tapes uh, dating back to the early 1900s. Oh, wow. Through the 1940s, these tape, these uh, uh, reel-to-reel tapes and also wire recordings and uh, 16-millimeter film. Wow. And they're cleaning them off of mold and dust. And they can only, they only have a chance to play some of these one time before they fall apart. So they have like one chance to digitize everything wow. before it's like lost forever. No pressure. And okay, el- talk about pressure. On these tapes, yeah, exactly. On these tapes, it's uh, people speaking Cajun French, telling stories, telling oral histories, t- ter- telling uh-huh. folk tales, older people usually. Uh, so not only are they old, but it's old people talking in them. Yeah. And then uh, singing Cajun songs. I know uh, John Sharp, who people call Pud, is the assistant researcher, uh, assistant director of research, sorry, over there. And he actually told me that he heard one tape that no one in the center recognized the song. Really? And it was a, it was a wire, wire recording. And the wire recording was actually from the early 1900s. I think he said it was around late 1800s, early 1900s, and the guy in the recording said, my uncle taught me this song when I was seven years old. So that's a song from like the mid, mid 1800s. That's crazy. It was, it's so interesting. At least what I was told by my grandparents is that they didn't teach their kids because um, we didn't want them to know what we were talking about. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's another thing too. Yeah. Um, and I did speak, I did speak to the woman who who runs the uh, lower level language courses, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Tamara Lind- Lindner, uh, about this. And she said that she is kind of the director of the French courses and she tries to integrate French into the courses, Louisiana French, little activities that surround Louisiana French. Yeah. And she said that, yes, this uh, this World War II era movement where, where everyone was sort of forced to conform to 
the English language mm -hmm. was uh, did have a lasting and traumatizing effect on the way people feel about their French and speaking Cajun French. There's yeah. this there's this prejudice that it's low class, that it's not educated, that it's yeah. broken French, which is incorrect. I never understood why we don't teach it in our schools in Louisiana. Exactly. If we're going to be teaching French, why are we teaching like Canadian French or? Well, France French. Well, like, she she says that the, the the French that we learn is actually just standard basic French. We don't okay. really learn a particular dialect of French. Mm -hmm. And she says Louisiana French uh, actually has more similarities and differences with this French that we learn. Really? Yes. She says it's just French. It has certain things spelled differently. It's kind of like the difference between American English and British English. Okay. It's like, it's like it's different dialect, but if, if you have one, you can kind of piece together. Exactly. And so she okay. says that student, and interestingly enough, she said she actually taught one student um, who was in French immersion his whole life, learning the standard dialect of French. And he, his French, whenever he became fluent, was became more molded towards the North American dialect of French. Really? Yeah, interestingly enough. And that just says something about language that I'm, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. But, um, and uh, another person I interviewed was Matt Mick from Codafil. He is their uh, communications officer. Can you tell us what Codafil is? Codafil is the, um, the Council for the Development of French in Louisiana. And that's basically like a, an organization that promotes Cajun culture and promotes the participation in it locally. Mm -hmm. And uh, they all speak French uh, pretty much. And they, when you call them, they're answering machines in French. It's funny. And he told me that he actually disagrees with the idea that, that Cajun culture and Cajun French is threatened. Um, he says that he feels like now more than ever, it's being revitalized and evolving to the times and that the younger generations are embracing it a lot more than their mm -hmm. parents. I guess because... We're also a generation that's moving away from America as an identity, and we're finding ourselves in different names. That's what he said. He said in the uh, in the direct quote, he said, "All across the country, people are rediscovering where they're from." Yeah. And um, he says that 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 we're not inside of a bubble that we've been swept up in that movement as well. And he can see that, and he thinks that that along with the current efforts will definitely preserve things i'm so glad there, there's something there's a resource like that because it would be it would be a shame to see any culture die you know without any historical documentation of it especially a culture that's lively like a uh, cajun and creole so moving on to morgan morgan you covered uh differences in mardi gras which is a, a really interesting topic seeing as most people have a very vivid picture of New Orleans Mardi Gras. Yeah, a lot of people from outside the state or the country view Mardi Gras as most, mostly the New Orleans um, style. And I think it's just because New Orleans in general is just very popular. Yeah. That's where most of the tourists go to. That's what they know. Yeah. Um, just from traveling. I know as, whenever you travel somewhere else, um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm always asked, in what relation are you to New Orleans? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, not real. Like, it's yeah. totally different. You know, like, I'm from Cajun land, so yeah. it's totally different. Um, not only is just 
um, the lifestyle between Acadian and New Orleans is different, but so is the Mardi Gras. Um, New Orleans has more of the carnival style that came from uh, yeah. like the Spanish side. Mm -hmm. um, so it comes from basically, uh, it dates back to medieval Europe, but whenever um, our ancestors came over here, they took those past traditions of mm -hmm. Mardi Gras whenever they celebrated it in Europe. And it just depends where they landed at. So that's why we have two different Mardi Gras. We have the country Mardi Gras. Yeah. Um, and then we have the urban one. So it just goes back to um, I mean, I've, where they're from or like where they landed. I've heard a lot about... I've never been to Church Point's Mardi Gras. But I've heard it's experience. Mm -hmm. It is. I've actually been twice. Yeah. Um, I've never participated <laughs> in or like in the or chicken somebody? run or anything. Yeah. Um, my family, I'm a Fontenot, so my family is actually from Mamu, um, and they actually, you know, like my grandparents, like that's where they're from, they participated in like all the chicken runs and going house to house, uh, collecting ingredients for the gumbo, that's what, that's basically what the whole Mardi Gras is in Mamu Eunice Church Point, it's not just a, it's not even really a parade, um, it's just people going on horsebacks, mm -hmm. drinking, <laughs> eating. Well, they don't, they eat after they gather um, all the ingredients. And uh, Dr. Also, they uh, one of the, the guys I interviewed, he said in New Orleans Mardi Gras, it's the people that are begging the procession, like. Really? That, that's where throw me something mister comes from oh. and then whereas country Mardi Gras it's the procession that's begging the people that's why they go to the people's houses okay. and beg them for ingredients such as onions or yeah. chickens you know etc I know uh, George you're not from Louisiana have you ever heard what happens in church point during Mardi Gras? no I want to ask what why why a chicken run and also what a chicken run is uh, okay so from, from what I've gathered is they make like a, a their, the goal of their Mardi Gras is to make a big, is it gumbo, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, to make a big gumbo. Well, you need ingredients for that gumbo. One of those ingredients is a chicken. You have to go run and catch it. Mm hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, to get like the onions and all the other stuff, you have to go and beg people, knock on their doors, yeah. ask if they have onions. It's kind of like a big race type yeah. thing especially um, the chicken part of it There's yeah the that that's the main thing is the chicken right yeah it was also interesting is church point banned drinking at their at their parades now yeah see actually really yeah okay i didn't know that it's a pretty surreal spectacle as well george because everyone's in these frilly costumes with these large pointed hats and oh i've seen mesh masks. pictures of them yeah, yeah that's, that's what, what it that is was. it's and the career to Mardi Gras. and the point yeah, of the mask <laughs> Um, Dr. So the chicken doesn't recognize you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. But the point of the mask is um, for it's, it's this whole celebration before the Lenten season, mm -hmm. and it's a time where you want to get together with everyone you know. But the point of the mask is to like you could be talking to your brother and you don't even know it. You know, you're just like celebrating with strangers, quote yeah. unquote. But it's really people that you know that's in your community. I like how you say celebrating. I always pictured it as like you wear the mask so you can do all this bad stuff and no one knows yeah. it's you. Well yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is another reason too. Because the next day is Lent and then you have to like give everything up. Yeah, it's the day before the penance, so Yeah. yeah. I uh, so moving on, I wanna I wanna I did wanna leave Festival for Last George why I'm coming to you. 
I did a story this week on uh, the Cajun Navy, which has been a very popular topic in the news, especially since Hurricane Florence was last month. Uh, I learned a lot about crowd relief, which is apparently a new a coin term, where um, the, a really good quote from the guy that I interviewed, who is the uh, founder of, not founder, um, he's a, one of the higher members of Cajun Navy Relief. Uh, he said that instead of give what were their organization is pointing towards is instead of giving $35 to the Red Cross, you can go on their website, buy a $35 toaster, and they'll deliver it to somebody who's lost everything. I thought that was interesting. My, uh, mm-hmm. the biggest interview that I did was this guy that saved this little girl during the 2016 floods, which is what I wanted to focus on because the 2016 floods is still very vivid in a lot of people's minds, especially mm-hmm. around here. And uh, he saved this little girl, and he had just lost his house the day before. And uh, he laid it, he said the biggest quote was, I laid down that night, and all I could think about was that little girl. And I was just like, you just ripped my heart open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's kind of a crazy phenomenon that uh, the Cajun culture is spreading in that way of people just selflessly going out with their boats to rescue someone during a disaster. I mean, now they're even, like with Florence, they're getting to the scene before the hurricane even hits and riding out the hurricane in preparation to go save people that very next day. And I just like, I was stunned by that because you're putting yourself in danger just to go, you know, help other people. It was, it's really touching. I think it, it's, it spurs from this disaster culture we have around here. Yeah, I think uh, so. Because just we're hit by these storms so often. And it it's, it's kind of a double hit, right? Because we're in the area for hurricanes and our infrastructure isn't really built for that. Yeah. So we don't have drainage. We don't have all of this that we should have. And so we do have a culture that surrounds uh, helping one another in times of need because no one else is going to come save yeah. us. No one else, you know, there's not going to be any kind of big you know like savior that's gonna come get everybody yeah i mean that you know that the fema does help and all of that but there is very much kind of a fin for yourself in this time yeah no, it really i think is. i think these men are probably inspired by that to go help people that are in these situations i think um katrina was a big catalyst there was such terrible uh response to katrina absolutely and so many people died and had i mean the biggest thing they said is like whenever Katrina happened, uh, we didn't. Well, not many people were using Facebook. Technology mm-hmm. was, you know, I mean, it was two thousand five. I mean, I think was Facebook 2000, even in two thousand five, um, Facebook was only for college students. Oh, dang! So it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't out to the masses yet. Yeah. And now you have Facebook where people can say, "Hey, I'm stuck here. Can somebody come rescue me? Hey, or go on the Cajun Navy's page and say, "Hey, I need help here." Um, he said that's a big uh, movement that's happening right now is they can get to people faster because of technology. They also have this app called Zello that he was telling me about where you join a channel. It's like a walkie-talkie channel. So if you're stuck somewhere, you can. Uh, this is all assuming you have cellular service. Yeah. I mean, I think if AT&T is down, you know, everybody's <laughs> yeah. messed up. But uh, he's saying you can go on this app on Zello, get on the channel and say, hey, I need help, or hey, I want to go help. Yeah. And uh, one of the ladies I interviewed who was a dispatcher for Cajun Navy Relief, 
was saying how they uh, they had just gotten a volunteer in that day, and within a few hours, she had already coordinated three meals for their volunteers on the ground. Wow. It was it was a really touching piece. I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. And um, so moving on from that to our grand finale. <laughs> it is festival week! So, George, tell us all about what we can be looking forward to. Well, it will be the same as always. There will be a lot of Cajun music and a lot of food, but in a surprise twist, the weather will be nice. Hey. Cool Friday. Yeah. Huh? Cool Friday? Well, it'll be like 75 degrees. Okay. That's still better. For one of the days. Yeah. Well, I guess it's also a little nice, too, is it's the same as homecoming week. So there's yeah. festival, but and there's also stuff to yeah, do on and, campus. Yeah, and they're also crossing over at one point. On Friday, I believe, the homecoming court and the band and the football team are all going to make an appearance at the festival. Oh, yeah, that's, nice. probably, that's probably the, uh, the what is it, Painted Red? That's the event? Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so the, the two aren't existing separately. That's really nice. Yeah. I know also, uh, we were talking about this earlier, because one of our reporters, Aaron, is going to go cover it. Uh, the 14th, 13th and 14th, the museum is going to be free for students. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the museum is right next to where the festival grounds is. Yeah, they're opening up admission to people attending the festival and those participating in it. Really? Yes. Yeah, so you can just walk from the festival to the Wait, museum. The, the Hilliard? Yeah. The Hilliard was free for students all the time. Is I think it? I think the I think the stories that they're opening up to people at a festival Acadia. Okay. Uh, as a okay. part of Festival okay. Acadia. Okay. As a but, girl but I they also mention <laughs> They mention in their promotion as well if you're at the homecoming, if you're on campus for homecoming, you can also just have free admission. That'll be good cuz that is a horrifically underused museum. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um I looked at the financial records for um, that UL releases every year. And we apparently own like $3 million worth of art and artifacts. Yeah, I mean, we got 70 uh, Dolly drawings for for almost, I think we're going to have them for like eight months or something. Yes! Which alone is insane. But these are like some very specific, they're the draw, illustrations he did for the Divine Comedy that didn't get published because Italy realized that they should probably publish... Uh, an Italian artist uh, oh. instead of a Spanish artist so they just cancelled it and they didn't get released to the public until I think the 70s Oh wow! Uh, and then they've just been bouncing around museums and galleries since then so they're very significant and little known works of his that's awesome yeah I definitely think more things should happen around the, the mm-hmm. art museum I mean it's I think also not many people know about it in Lafayette either. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of, even though it's like such a prominent building, you know, going mm-hmm. down St. Mary's, it's like yeah. the the coolest looking building, yeah. and then it's next to the big white house. <laughs> yeah. You can't miss it, but I don't know what it is. So can you give us at least one highlight of festival that you think people should go see? Uh, well, the the big name everyone always talks about is Wayne Toops. Oh, the king of festival. Wayne, uh, and I think I might be confusing it with last with uh, festival international last year, but I want to say that he played twice. Probably. Um, at at a at Acadien, but that might have been festival because I know he played a couple times at uh, international, but he's only playing once this festival on Sunday night. So you have to be there Sunday night. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be packed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People love them some wing tubes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> well, I, uh, I think that's all for us this week. 
Thank you guys for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next week. This podcast was edited by LaShayla Lumpkin, our photo coordinator. Thank you.